Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 266 with Jeff Sanders. I think you'll really enjoy this chat with Jeff because he's speaking from experience and he's so good. We had him earlier and he's back for another round with some new tasty insights. And we don't do that very often with guests. So I think he's good. I think you will too. And you'll learn one, what a trip to the emergency room taught Jeff about the need for taking legitimate breaks. Two, how to unplug optimally and three, steps to define your top priorities. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F266. And now here is Jeff's story. Jeff Sanders is a keynote speaker, author of The Free Time Formula, The 5-Year Miracle, and founder of The Rockin' Productivity Academy. Jeff is also the host of The 5-Year Miracle podcast, which has ranked number one in iTunes in the self-help business categories been nominated for five awards and exceeded five million downloads. He is a plant-based marathon runner and a personal development junkie. Every week, you can find Jeff writing and speaking over at jeffsanders.com. Thanks to Jeff for spending some time with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here is Jeff. Jeff, welcome back to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Well, hey, Pete. Good to be back here again. Oh, boy. Well, it's been, geez, about a year here, which is wild. But back in episode 79, tell me what's new in your life since then. Oh, big question. I think the newest thing is I've got uh, a new book coming out in the next couple of months, which I'm excited about. And something I actually literally just announced this morning on Facebook is that my wife and I are pregnant with our first child. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of big changes coming up this year. So I'm excited. Oh, totally. Yeah. So well, you know, we just had our first and so oh. exciting. So yeah, I'm curious how that will adjust your five AM um <laughs> <laughs> wake up yeah. schemes. That's cool. I've also noticed that you say you are a secret woodworker in your free time. Why is that a secret exactly? Well, I think it's a secret mostly because I just kind of started doing some like side woodworking for fun. My brother is actually kind of a professional woodworker himself. He does a lot of uh, hand carving and painting of uh, kayak paddles. And he sells those for lots of money, and he's really good good at it. And uh, I have no skills in that area. I just think it's fun to kind of do some creative projects. And I started actually because I spend so much time on the computer. I wanted a project that was just totally you know non digital, just like get myself in my garage and build something. 
So that's kind of what I do for fun in my free time. Oh, that's excellent. Cool. Wow. Kayak paddles. But there's a market for so many things that I, I never would have imagined. Very true. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, hopefully there's a huge market. How's this for a segue? For your upcoming book, <laughs> in the Free Time Formula, which is a cool name. Tell us, you know, what's the main kind of idea behind it? Well, the main idea is that most of us, myself included, uh, tend to be incredibly busy. I was having a discussion with one of my friends a few weeks ago, you know, asking like, I hadn't seen him in a while. I was like, hey, how are you doing? And he gave me that same speech, really busy. And I think like a few years ago, I would ask someone like how they're doing. They'd say, oh, I'm doing fine or I'm doing great. But I feel like that has changed now to, oh, I'm busy. And that's like a marker of like how we're doing. And like, it's supposed to mean like some sort of like a weird way of saying like, I'm so important, I'm busy all the time. But really, I think it just really speaks to the idea that we're all really busy because we're overbooked, we're stressed out. And the book really came out of that kind of moniker of like, we are doing way too much stuff, most of which is not a good use of our time. And so, and this was kind of like my story of last spring. You know, I went this big season where I was doing a lot of stuff and found myself very stressed out, very overwhelmed and realized like I could not continue at that pace and it wasn't healthy and it wasn't sustainable. And so the book speaks to people like me who are type A, high achieving, you know, ambitious people. You want to get a lot done, but you're stressed out. You're overwhelmed. There's too much happening. How do you balance that and, and still be able to get your goals accomplished? but also kind of have the margin, the free time you want in your life so you can live a quality life and actually have some time to yourself, have some time that's your own. And I feel like that is a, a big challenge for most people because we always feel this sense of just go, go, go all the time. And there's never really a clean break from the busyness. And so my book really kind of tackles that head on and figures out ways uh, to make that possible. Yeah, intriguing, yes. And you know, I've often wondered, you know, I remember, I've always loved free time. As a kid, I remember... I was in a play and, and I quit the play. I felt very, I don't know, like, oh, you're being a quitter. That's very bad. Letting people down, whatever. I had a very tiny role, <laughs> but I had lots of play practice. And I remember I wanted to leave because, and I don't know if I'm in like fourth grade or so, because I didn't have any quote free time. I felt like, and, and then at the same time, later on, I reflected like, is any time really free? Something fills it. So how is it that you define free time? Well, in the book, I kind of get a little bit, I'm not controversial, but like I really hit the idea of free time right in the head and, and really speak to the idea that all time is free time. Okay. Like every single minute of every single day is, is up to you. Now, that's a difficult thing to say because right away your head's going, wait a minute, but I've got a job, I've got a mortgage, I've got kids, I've got whatever. But the reality is that every single day you can choose something different, but every choice comes with kind of a consequence or a possible benefit. So you have to weigh all those options all the time. And so the way I look at it is that the kind of in more in theory that your free time is your time. All time is free time and all time is your time. Okay. So what do you do with the time you have? And can you make better decisions to ensure that the time you have is being better spent? Because I feel like most of us, when we approach our days with this sense of a lack of control, that your time is being stolen from you, that your boss makes you go to work, that you can't do things. The opposite can be so much more beneficial, which is, you know, I chose this job. I'm choosing to go to work. I get benefits from it. If it's not the best choice for me, let me find a better option to use that time more efficiently or more wisely for the goals I've set for myself. And I think that that mindset switch to view all your time as your own gives you the power back and allows you to then make choices that more align to the person you want to be. 
Oh, I like that. And so in, in terms of just like the feeling of, oh, I have to go to work as opposed to like, if there's a drudgery, there's a resignation, maybe resentfulness, a tiredness, you know, just packed all into that sentence. I have to go to work now, mm-hmm. as opposed to, yeah, I'm choosing to go to work now, recognizing that there's things I don't care to do. This isn't the funnest thing, maybe on this particular day. I'm not in the mood. Uh, however, in the grand complex ecosystem of, of commitments that I have, it is a, a prudent choice for me to go ahead and and do this. So a different feel for sure in just terms of how you're you're looking at things and, and thus how you feel about it in the moment. Yeah, exactly. I think that when you approach that with a, that, that different like frame of mind, it, it changes your entire perspective on your day. Like, I've heard stories of this a million times where you know someone goes into the office who hates their job and someone else who's the exact same job goes in with a positive mindset, and the end results are totally different. And it's, it's not just about like, trying to make a bad job feel better by being positive, but it's really to approach my day with the understanding that I am making a choice to do what I'm doing. And, and when the ball is in your court and the power is in your hands, then you can make a different decision. I feel like that sense of power and control really gives you the opportunity to then make better choices, which I feel like most people tend to feel like they're missing. And if you have that control, then you can make those choices that are different and therefore your life can change from there. Okay, I dig it. Well, so I kind of want to hear your story when it comes to free time. I have a feeling that there could be some interrelationship between you had an occasion in life where you had to go to the emergency room and it was due to stress. Kind of what's the backstory here and how does how's free time fit into that? Well, this is kind of ties into what I was talking about with last spring. I mean, a really busy season. I was working through a ton of projects, all of which I opted into. And so my schedule was like packed to the brim. I was, I was excited though. I had a lot of cool things going on that I wanted to do. But because I had basically booked myself to the brim, I had no margin for anything else that would pop up. And then I had a few challenges that popped up, some financial issues, some weird like things in my house were breaking and like you know, just <laughs> life was happening, right? And so in that season, I basically spazzed out because I was like, wait a minute, I don't have time to deal with all this stuff that's happening on top of what I've already said yes to. And so I got myself really stressed out, really overworked. And then the book deal for this book showed up in the middle of all of that, which was an opportunity I wanted to say yes to. And I did. But in the moment, all I did was add more stress to my life as well. And so then my publisher said, well, what's your topic going to be about? I was like, I don't know. I'm too busy. Let's talk in a few weeks. (laughs) Well, in that few week period, I had basically a complete like stressed out, freak out moment, a panic attack, you can call if you want to. And I ended up in the ER because I was choking on some food and like I was having this like weird heart attack symptoms. It was really bizarre. And the doctor at the hospital was like, well, you're not having an actual heart attack. You're not actually sick. You're just burned out like to the max. And so I had to figure out a way to kind of wind down from that and then reframe how I was approaching my work. And so I went back to my publisher a few weeks later and I was like, I've got the exact topic for this book. I'm going to talk about like this story, like what happened to me and then how I was able to kind of come out of that, which is I've been able to do that since then. It's been this bizarre journey of me going from, you know, super type A, over caffeinated, doing too much work all the time to what's the balance between that and having the time that I need for myself. And there is, you know, there are solutions there. There is a story that, that unfolds there, but it's really the intentionality behind it of saying like, you know, I caused all that and now I have to unwind all that. And it's, it really has been kind of a bizarre journey. Now, that's really intriguing. When you use the, the phrase burnt out, I think we often think about like motivation 
is out and you're you're kind of blah. But it sounded like your motivation was still good and strong in terms of like you like doing all those things. You thought all those things were cool and you went after them with great huzzah and enthusiasm. And ultimately, you know, your body just <laughs> told you another story about what is possible in terms of your time and your resources there. So is that fair to say that the doctor said you were burnt out even though your motivation levels were really strong? Yeah, which is kind of bizarre for me, I think, because at the time when my doctor told me, he's like, you have to slow things down, even though I was at, in the ER at the time, I was like, no, 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 but I have things to do, things that I want yeah. to get done. <laughs> you know, like I'm still fighting him even in, in the hospital. And so like, it was very much like I was so steeped in it that I couldn't even realize like how badly I needed to slow down until, you know, a few weeks went by and I got reflected on it and realized like, yeah, I opt into these things. I'm excited about these things, but you only have 24 hours in a day and you as an individual can only do so much. So you have to make really important cuts. Like certain things just will not happen. And I think that's been my biggest lesson from all of this is figuring out how to say no because that's, I, I just want to keep saying yes, which lend, lends me to those kinds of problems. And so figuring out what matters most and saying yes to those few things and then no to everything else, uh, that's the big battle. And that's where that really defines whether or not you can get that balance you're looking for or you find yourself overwhelmed. Okay. And I'd also like to hear a little bit about sort of maybe your sense of identity or beliefs or mindset or toughness. Because the way I'm thinking, okay, hey, you know what? You know, I'm Jeff Sanders. I'm the 5 a.m. miracle dude. <laughs> you know, I, I am Mr. Productivity. And, and I think a lot of us fancy ourselves in, in, in some kind of a way, like that may be similar to that. Like I'm the guy who always blah, blah, blah. You know, or you could always depend on me for this or that. Or oh, I would never be such a person as to just take a nap in the middle of a work day. You know, what, I, I don't know. I, I think we have sort of these, I don't know, call them vows or sort of self-image things that show up. I'd love to hear a little bit in your story, in your perspective, was that a factor in play? No doubt it was. I mean, for sure. Like I, I don't take naps as a good example of that. I think in part because I feel guilty for taking time off. You know, I have this sense that I need to keep pushing all the time. Um, even just recently, it was during the holiday break and I was, you know, hanging out with my family. I traveled for the holidays and we were just kind of hanging out, opening presents, you know, eating cookies, just kind of things you do on the holidays. And I kept thinking like, you know, I have my laptop with me. I could knock out a little work here and there. But like, why am I thinking about that? Like, why is that always in my head? It's like, because I have defined myself as that guy who's always trying to be productive. And I think it's been, it still is a challenge for me to like unwind that mindset around myself because the best way to be productive that I've seen over time, even to myself, is you have those seasons or defined times where you're doing work. But then when you're off the clock, you need to actually be off the clock and take a, a legit break. And when that happens, you then have the rest you need to come back to the work more refreshed and ready to go. And that's where the breakthroughs really happen. And so to get to that point where that rhythm can exist, you have to be able to say, well, now is work time. But then when that's done, it's actually done. And I have a hard time turning that off. But once I do, well, then I see the benefits. I get that refreshing mindset. I'm able to come back better again. So yes, I mean, I definitely have defined myself as the 5 a.m. guy. And like I am trying to be productive all the time. But it, it's working against me and in those cases where I'm trying to do too much. And so finding that balance really can not only be good for my kind of mental sanity in the moment, but also for the image of portraying like real productivity is defining the few things that matter and giving all your attention to that and then being able to confidently say no to the things that just aren't as important, uh, which is a hard line to, to cross if you don't know where it is. So it's a journey to, to make those choices. 
But once you know what those things are, you define what matters to you, it's amazing to me just how clear it's becoming to me the things I've said yes to that are silly or the things that I could easily walk away from that I just haven't out of pride or out of you know just old habit or whatever the case is. And so it, yeah, it's about defining who you want to be uh, so that the things that matter get your true attention. Oh, that's good. That is good. So well, I want so many things to follow up on here. I guess first I want to talk about the notion of, of resting and being off legit break completely. Do you have some thoughts in terms of what is a great ratio between work and rest and how can you unplug and make your breaks all the more legitimate? I don't have a ratio per se, but I know, I kind of know it when, I, when I'm, I'm going through it. And I'll say, as a good example of this, when I was working on this book, actually, I was had a season of probably two to three months where you know, working on the book every day was my number one priority. So I would go to the library here in Nashville and I would write like four to five hours. And that four to five hour chunk was basically all of the creative energy I had in that day. And at the end of that time, like my brain was like shutting down. I was tired. It was time to move on. I could just feel it like emotionally. And I could tell over time, like that rhythm of saying like, I'm going to go and do the work until, you know, that time is done. And I'm mentally kind of done for the day. Then I can shift gears and find something else to work on that doesn't require as many brain cells. I can go do the laundry or shop or something. And I feel like the rhythm between those activities of where you're mentally tuned into something and then when you're kind of mentally tuning out, it's not necessarily a ratio like you calculate per hour, but maybe you could though. Like I know that four to five hours of work time is basically what my brain can do. And after that, I have to change. And so when you find that rhythm, you can then schedule in the things that matter most during those kind of optimum hours for yourself. And then schedule the you know lesser important things in the late afternoons when you're getting a little bit tired or sluggish. That kind of a rhythm can set you up to be able to do what matters every day uh, without getting burned out in a given day. And so I'm thinking then, so that four or five hours, is there anything to, well, hey, with some intermittent breaks, it could be six, seven, eight hours, or you're thinking, nope, four to five hours is the capacity, and it's just a matter if you put them all contiguously up front or if you disperse it throughout the day. I mean, I definitely found that doing them all at once earlier in the day was most effective for me. You know, I, I do tend to have kind of, you know, a later in the day kind of, you know, extra energy boost. And so sometimes in the evening, I'll get some other work done. But my, I know my primary kind of creative energy happens probably between, let's say, like 9 a.m. and 1 p.m. Like that tends to be when I'm you know, on fire. It varies day to day, but like in a general sense, if that was how my life was going to flow, that's when my brain is on. Four solid focused hours with very minimal breaks in that time period. You know, I'm going to get really high quality work done. And if I try to break it into smaller pieces, I have seen over time that I'll still get work done, but it'll be less over time. Like I won't get quite as deep into the material. I won't get quite as much accomplished and I'll feel more scattered. I definitely feel a sense of accomplishment when I'm able to do one thing for a solid amount of time. And when I try to book like, you know, five or six little projects in a day, well, then I just feel scattered. I feel too busy. And that doesn't serve me to then want to repeat that. It just kind of burns me out because I just feel like there's too much happening. And so part of my kind of rhythm I'm going for is having fewer big things to do per day as opposed to a significantly longer to-do list with lots of little things. Because for me personally, that, that burns me out. That's too much for me to want to be able to approach my day confidently. I'd rather have just one or two big things. Yeah, that's good. That's a good way to put it, to face the day confidently. And so that you're, you're fired up going into it as opposed to, oh boy, <laughs> this is hopeless. There's no way this is going to happen. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. That's good. 
Okay, well, so then that's the part about the the ratio side of things. And now I want to hear about the unplugging well side of things. Is there any kind of pro tips or tactics or principles, perspectives when it comes to doing a, a quality unplug and refresh? Well, I think for me, what I have seen in the last probably eight or nine years is that the best way for me to unplug is to do the exact opposite of what I usually do when I'm That's working. That's right. I love that. Um, you said that in 79, that episode. Yeah. <laughs> and I have been, I followed it. I was like, okay, I'm tuckered. What's the opposite? You know what? It's folding this laundry is just yeah. the opposite. That is what's happening now. Which I think works beautifully, whether it's, a, let's say, like a small 15-minute break, I can fold some laundry, or a longer, like, three-hour break on a Saturday morning, I might go for a run in the park. And I feel like whatever it is that's not what I usually do is when that's when I feel the most rested. It's when I feel like I can actually reflect on my work or I can just not think about work at all or whatever it is I'm trying to get done. I feel like when I walk away completely and do something that's completely different and new, that's when I like I can turn my brain on again. I can turn my energy on again. And then when I do get back to work, you know, let's say on next Monday morning, I have that sense of rejuvenation and rest that I otherwise would definitely not have. Let's say, for example, if I spent the whole week on the computer and then the whole weekend looking at Facebook and social media, well, I'm still still tuned in. There's still too much happening in that same, you know, same kind of work. And so I'd rather just unplug in a way that really is radically different because that's what allows me to feel like there is a sense of rhythm, like you're on the computer and then you're totally off. And when I have that back and forth, uh, that allows me to be so much more present in the times that I choose to be on. Okay, got it. That's so good. Well, now in your book, you recommend doing a, a time audit. What exactly is that? How is it done? And, and what are some things that folks are likely to discover when they do one? Well, I first heard of this from a guy named Darren Hardy, who was the publisher of Success Magazine. And um, I followed Darren's work for a long time. He's an author of multiple books, and he's a really amazing guy. And this is a lesson he taught probably like 20 years ago now. But it's one that I have applied kind of to my own life in this perspective of looking at how your time is being spent. And so what he did was time himself doing what he thought was his most important work every day. So he actually wore a stopwatch around his neck okay. and then would time himself whenever he was doing what he said was his most important work for the day. And at the end of the first day, he kind of looked at the stopwatch to see how much time he had you know, kind of clocked in that day. And the answer was 19 minutes. So he literally had only spent 19 minutes of the entire working day doing the activity he said was the most important, which was a, for him was this big aha moment, like I need to increase that number. And so the time audit is literally that exact same thing. From the first perspective, you're looking at just what do I do every day? And the second perspective is if I know the most important thing, how much time am I spending on that? And so the only real goal behind this is just to get that number, like how much time do you spend on what you claim is your most important thing. And if the number is way too low, which it might be, then you figure out a way to increase that number. And when that happens, then your results go up dramatically because you're just taking that most important activity and giving it so much more attention. And I have seen that with myself where I get so caught up in things that are not the most important and I keep delaying that thing or finding an excuse not to do it. And so I feel like that's the, the mentality behind that, the intentionality behind saying, I'm going to get an actual number to look at and calculate and measure and then improve over time uh, gives you the ability to then actually monitor your progress and see how much better you're getting at staying focused on what you said matters most. Okay, very cool. Well, so now let's really dig into a little bit of when it comes to this defining, this prioritization, this saying no, 
you know, I'd love it if you have some particular perspectives or rules of thumb or, or questions that you should ask yourself in terms of what is something that is truly worthy of being a top priority versus what is something that should clearly get a quick no and, and just sort of not even enter our to-do list in the first place. Well, it's a great discussion because I feel like the idea of, of filtering what you do every day is maybe the most important skill set that's necessary to actually make progress. And I say that because you know our ability to kind of make the decision like yes to this and no to that defines what how our day is spent. Like it defines where our energy goes. And so, like, I have a question that I have written down on a big post-it notes on my vision board in my office, which I'm looking at right now, uh, that says, is it a nine or a 10? No. Well, then walk away. And so the, the idea being that everything I need to say yes to needs to be a nine or a 10. Now, that's a very subjective, you know, scale of one to 10. But in my head, I need to be able to say, that, like, this thing I'm saying yes to had better be that good. And if it's not, then I should probably find something better to do with my time. And so it's filters like that or questions like that to ask yourself, like, is this fulfilling a grander goal I'm trying to pursue? Is this next media I'm going to go to a serving a bigger objective? Or is it just another activity that I've been saying yes to over time? Or is it just something that sounded like fun, but it's only kind of good, but it's not necessarily great or amazing? I want to fill my life with the great and amazing things, the nines and tens on the scale. And to do that, I have to say no a ton. And that's what's been my biggest lesson probably in the last year and a half or so is how much now I say no. And it's just constant because there's so many requests for my time, so many things I could say yes to, my own ideas that I get that I have to turn down to myself because I want to do so many things. And I feel like that's raising the bar in that sense of saying like everything that I'm going to say yes to needs to meet a certain minimum threshold. And if it doesn't, then I probably need to find a way to get out of it. And that alone has taken my calendar to a whole new level where it's actually a whole lot less scheduled. There's a lot more margin now in it because I'm only saying yes to a few things. And it's, it takes a while to get there. Like it, this is a process. You have to go through probably a course of many weeks or months because there's usually so many things over time we've said yes to. So raising the bar can take a while to filter out all the, the things that don't meet the criteria. But that but asking the question, just really analyzing what you've said yes to I have found over time has definitely caused me to say no 10 times more than the past, uh, which is liberating for me because then I have the free time and then I have the control again. Then I can say yes to things that are more fun or, or more influential or more you know, powerful for me. But that journey is a process, but it, the end result is amazing because you get to do those things that are so great. So now I love that. Does it serve a grander goal? So uh, that's cool. So I, I guess you've already defined a sort of a small set of goals up front in advance. Is this true? Yes, definitely. I have a set. I usually do uh, quarterly goals. And so I have kind of a, a defined like two or three major things I'm working towards. And so really that question then is, is this next smaller task or project uh, going to serve one of those? Okay, excellent. And so then you say a nine or a 10, do you have a definition for what would be a nine versus what would be a 10? Like what, is, what do those numbers mean to you in uh, qualitative terms? I think in terms of me, I think back to kind of when I was in school and I was always trying to get an A on, in a class or on a test. And so for me, like a 90% or higher uh, qualified, at least when I went to college, a 90% was an A. And so if, as long as I can get to that 90, I got, a, got the grade I wanted. And I feel like that's kind of what I'm going for here is like, let's make sure that whatever I'm getting to qualifies as like a super awesome thing. There's some wiggle room there to not be perfect, but it needs to be something that really kind of blows my socks off and really says, this is going to be a great thing for me to do that I'm excited about or that will be really helpful for me. 
And if I'm not like super pumped about it, or if I kind of the opposite there, like if I'm currently involved in something that I would not go back and sign up for again, then I need to find a way out of it because it's not still acting as that nine or a 10 on my scale. So it's a very subjective term Uh, to define it. It really has to be kind of your own thing. But I I know it when I ask the question. Like when I have something that I'm considering and I look at that, I know almost immediately if it's a yes or a no. And and that for me is is the super powerful part about this is like you can just ask the question for whatever it is you're considering, and you'll almost always have that gut sense of, yeah, this is probably not good enough yet. And so then you kind of go back to the drawing board and start over again. But I think that just having that reminder to ask the question, that's what leads to you understanding uh, what a nine or ten would mean for you. Well, could you maybe give us an example of all right, you got a goal. And you got a, a couple of action steps you could take. Uh, could you maybe make it real for us by saying, hey, here's something that might fall into the five, six, okay, not bad territory versus the kind of actions and activities that are in clearly the, the nine to 10 category for that given goal? Sure. I've actually got a list here of my future projects I'm looking at. Um, I use Evernote to organize my whole life. And so I have a current list of the goals I'm working on and then a second list uh, what I just call like future projects and ideas. And so the future projects and ideas list are things I'm currently looking at and saying, will these things, you know, at one point become a current project? And I have them prioritized for, you know, one to right now, it's one to seven of current things I'm considering. And like number two on the list is to grow my, my own email list. So I kind of, as an online entrepreneur, I like to attract people to my website and they can sign up my email list. And then I can use that to, over time, kind of get them to buy products. It's a very common kind of internet business you know, strategy. But in my line of work now, that's less important. I have other things I'm working towards, other ways of making money, other ways of growing my business. So actually, specifically growing my email list for me is not a 9 or a 10. It's still important. And over time, I'll still work on it. But I'm not going to stop what I'm doing today to go do that project. Like, it's not going to capture my attention. It's not going to make me freak out overnight. Like, I'm going to postpone that until it becomes the next most important thing to push me forward. And I, that's kind of the filter I look through is, is this next thing going to take or replace what I'm currently working on? And generally, I have two to three kind of current projects, and that's it. And so if another project's going to come in the mix, it needs to replace one of those, you know, or, or trump those in some way. And if it's not powerful enough, then the answer is an automatic no. And so in this case, I'm looking at this kind of, you know, growing the email list project and telling me, well, it's, it's still important. And I'll hang on to it for now, uh, but it's not yet a nine or a 10 for me. And once it is, then I'll know it and I'll pursue it and it'll be great. But until then, it just kind of hangs on in that list of like, maybe in the future, I'll get to it later. And that's where I am today with that project. Okay, cool. Well, now with all the the no that you're saying, do you have any favorite ways that you've adopted to articulate that to others? <laughs> Over time, I've gotten better at this. I am very bad at saying no. And I say that because my in the past, the way I've said no is I've been too blunt or way too passive. And so I either might insult somebody by being too aggressive with my no, or I do the opposite. And I kind of like try to weasel my way around it, not really give a clear answer which then causes the person to be a little confused. And so I've tried to find ways to have what Michael Hyatt calls a graceful no, where basically you're acknowledging someone and saying like, I appreciate you reaching out to me or I appreciate the opportunity. You know, at this time, I've got other priorities that I'm pursuing, uh, so I'll have to pass in, in the moment. So I'll use phrases like that to be, it's still clearly I'm saying no, uh, but I'm not saying no in a way that's harsh or that's, you know, I still acknowledge the, the, the request and acknowledge the person for their offer. And that tends to happen every day. And I've got email templates set up to be able to kind of, you know, start with that and customize it a little bit so that I've got a starting place to build from. 
because most of my notes that I give are over email. And so it's just a very typical kind of like copy, paste, and customize, and then send. And that saves me a lot of time and it frees up my ability to you know, move forward to the next thing that matters most uh, without getting too hung up on how to say no to somebody. Okay. Well, tell me, Jeff, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? I think that overall, the idea of productivity and the, the idea of this, my book that I'm working on to have been for the last year or so, really speaks to this idea that we let ourselves get busy and we let ourselves fall into these bad habits and it takes some real intentionality to get out of it. Uh, it's one thing I see in myself. It's, it's just so easy to get caught up in the busyness and it's, it takes some real effort to get out of it, but it's, it's effort that's really, really worth it because the results you get when you unwind that is just so immediate. You find that free time, you can see it on your calendar, you can fill with things that are fun. And I think that uh, though it might be you know, a little bit of work up front to kind of undo the mess, um, it is totally worth it and a lot of fun. Okay, awesome. Well, this will be fun to see if uh, some of your favorite things have evolved in the last year. So let's do it. Can you share with us a favorite quote? Favorite quote is one I've probably had, probably since last time we talked, is from Albert Einstein, uh, which is, in the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. I love that quote because it really speaks to this idea that whatever challenge I'm facing, there's an opportunity to be seized in that. And so I'm asking myself, you know, what is the opportunity in the middle of this thing that I'm trying, I'm fighting against or this thing that I'm frustrated with? You know, how can I grow from this? How can I move forward? And almost every single time when I look at that quote and I ask that question, you know, where's the opportunity here? I find it like it's always there. And so that's my focus is just always figuring out what is that next opportunity there. Oh, I love that. And sometimes I'm also thinking about, well, when it comes to the quote, necessity is the mother of invention. It's like a lot of times that opportunity is just sort of a brilliant breakthrough in terms of I could do something in a completely better way, or I could find a new you know, product service tool solution that I didn't even know existed before, but now that I need it, I find it, and then it's like, well, it's part of my life forever, and it's super helpful. So that works on many levels. I dig it. Totally. Love that. And how about a favorite book? Favorite book. Uh, Right now, I'm actually rereading one of my favorite books. It's called Ultra Marathon Man by Dean Karnazes. It is a book that specifically is about running ultra marathons, which is super, super long marathons. But really, the book is just a bunch of stories about how crazy Dean Karnazes actually is and his (laughs) ability to push himself to incredibly challenging just feats of, of human potential. And I think it's amazing to, to listen to and watch and, and participate in like what he's doing. I am actually interviewed him on my podcast a few years ago, and he's just such an inspirational guy because he is always asking the question, like, how can I push further? Like, what can I do next to kind of blow away my own potential? And I think that those kind of life lessons you can apply to anything. Yes, I love to run marathons myself too, and it's definitely a running book. But I, I use those same lessons and everything else that I pursue is like, how can I push this next project further? You know, how can I expand my own you know, limited thinking and think bigger and do something that's more bold? And I always find that there's something else I could pursue that's bolder and bigger and more fun. So I, just, I love the lessons in that book. That's good. Okay, cool. And how about a uh, favorite tool, something that helps you be awesome at your job? Recently, actually, I switched back from, um, I, I was using a task manager called Nosby as my primary way to schedule my whole life. And I just went back to a, kind of an old school calendar to look at my entire life. And for some reason, that's been like eye-opening for me. It's just to see my, my life scheduled in a new way. And uh, this is, I do this every couple of years. I will intentionally change tools with the way that I schedule my time just to see if I can find a new way to view it. And so that always leads to some kind of epiphany. I always re- realize like, oh, there was this thing I was missing or there's an opportunity to fill in time here. 
And when I do that, like it always opens my eyes to, you know, there are other ways to see the same thing. And if I can see myself from different perspectives, you know, I can change how I am to be better and to improve over time. And so I intentionally will change up the tools I'm using just to be able to see the same projects or same calendar uh, from a new perspective to improve myself. And I think it works really well. And is there a particular nugget that you've been sharing in your book that really seems to connect and resonate, at least with uh, those who've got to take a sneak peek in advance and that they, they share back to you and they're digging? I think that one thing I have heard of more than what's had before, actually, is that idea that free time is your own time. I was talking to a guy just recently who had that same kind of thought where he was looking at his calendar. This is a guy who's kind of similar to me. He had an overbooked, he's a musician here in Nashville, and he had said yes to so many different projects. And he started to unwind all those to change up the way he was operating based on this concept that your time is your own. And he kind of had the same realization that like, wait a minute, I've said yes way too many times uh, to these things. And if I have this new perspective on my time, like I can own it better. And I think the ownership perspective over your time is such a powerful thing. And it's, it's the one thing that I keep going back to myself because I'm in that same boat where I kind of, I let myself have that same old have to do blank. Uh, but I just, I think it's really powerful that we don't have to do whatever it is. We can choose something different. And then we do, we get better results. And Jeff, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? JeffSanders.com is the best place to go. I think that's where I've got uh, my books, podcasts, uh, other things I'm, I'm working on there. So yeah, that's the place to be. Okay. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? And be intentional with your time off. I think it's really important to be able to take a, a big step back from you know the busyness of your day and your week. I do a process that's a weekly review. Every single week, I will kind of analyze how the week went. But I think beyond that, more importantly, having intentional time off to do, like we said before, like the exact opposite of your job, like have time away uh, so that when you do come back, you're more refreshed. I think it's a very powerful thing that a lot of us uh, tend to ignore because we get too busy. So be intentional about it and make sure you have at least some time set aside once a week I uh, take a big step back. Awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you. This has been so much fun. I wish you tons of luck with uh, the new book and your many projects, but also chilling out and, and baby coming up it so much. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Pete. I'll have today. Cool. Thank you. I really love the way Jeff just framed the whole thing in terms of all your time is free time. So what do you do with that time? And if you have that sense of a lack of control, your time is being stolen from you, well, that just really kills your enthusiasm and joy and energy in a real hurry. So I think that's a cool vantage point to start from. Take a breath when you're in the I have to, I have to, I have to, to really get a better vantage point of hmm, what do you really quote have to do? It's all your choice and to make those choices all the more optimally. So again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F266. And if you haven't already, I hope you will push subscribe to hear from folks like our next guest. It is Tara Moore, and she is talking about dealing with the inner critic and fear and how to do that oh so much better. Hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.